Pickaxe. Folks, welcome to Dungeons and Randomness. Since 2012, myself and an amazing cast of 18 have been telling stories in our homebrew world of Theria. Four different groups explore lost ruins, run for political office, rage against a mad king, set sail to long forgotten islands, and so much more. Every group has a different story and flavor, and every season or arc has a new set of groups and stories all building the history of our world with every single session. Literally hundreds of hours of stories are waiting for you as part of the Pickaxe Network. Check out Dungeons & Randomness wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you around the table. Hello, and welcome back to the Review of Death, your fortnightly home for Doctor Who news and reviews. I'm Matthew Toffolo. Joining me from New Zealand is Billy Garrett-John. Say hello. Hello, everybody. How are we all doing today? Uh, I mean, I'm ready to go to bed. You're already ready to get up. I feel like I'm ready to go to bed and it's, it's five to seven <laughs> in the morning. Um, God. We've got some, I guess, some news and bits and bobs to run through that we may have missed at the top of the last show. Obviously, yeah. uh, in the last episode, we were talking about the return of a certain Miss Bush. And yep. uh, today we're talking about a new arrival off the top of the, mm. of the list because, Matt, you've got a brand new baby. Yes, I do. Uh, he's silver and he's got a lot of blue balls over him. <laughs> that sounds like a really serious tropical medical condition that you it, it probably does, should take him to. Uh, the, uh, yeah. I mean, technically it's not my baby. Technically it's my brother's baby. He's got a new Dalek. So it's living in the house with us. So it's kind of it's kind of like a joint a joint child, um, but it's it's his really, and it's bloody brilliant. It is. It looks fantastic. You sent me like straight away a video of you titting around in it, and Johnny yeah. going, "Watch the walls! Watch the walls! Don't scrape uh, the walls!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which could um, have been but, "Watch the balls," which is what I thought he said at first. <laughs> well, I mean, it's more important that you watch the Dalek than you watch the interior of the house you've just recently painted and decorated and moved yeah, into. I, I can get some paint and touch up any scuffs on the walls, but paint those Dalek <laughs> but not walls that is Dalek. Good. No, I don't want to be let loose on that. My God, it'd be a terrible so disaster. So, how have you? I mean, because I, I, I've obviously, you know, I'm not going to be too heavy on this, but the fact you've never invited me to have a ride in Derek has always slightly upset me. Um, yeah. But this Dalek is. I mean, you can't quite really a bit ride smaller in Derek. than Derek. No, no. I mean, Derek's full uh, of spiders and shit. Derek is full of spiders and shit. Um, well, it's a, it's substantially shorter than Derek. I mean, obviously, Derek's mm. a bit bullshit, really. Uh, in fact, I, I visited Derek on the weekend, and uh, I looked at him and I thought, you know what? Although you're bollocks, you do look like you have stepped out of Destiny of the Daleks or like yeah. Resurrection of the Daleks. And they all looked bollocks back then. I mean, he looks th- like one of the props they've pre cut to explode. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I thought, you know what? All this, you know, me thinking, oh, what can I do to make it better? Nah, he's fine as he is. No, he's you're fine not going to repaint shit. him then. Oh, I don't know if I can be arsed now. Oh, but imagine how cool it would be if you went for like the mutation of time or. One of those yeah. colour schemes. That'd look great. Uh, I, I'll do it in black and pink cancer research depot colours. <laughs> <laughs> or you could do that awful Union Jack one that they did for oh, the 50th anniversary convention. Bollocks to that. I'll, I'll put it in Italy colours. 
I find it interesting that nobody has come forward to say they're the owner of that Union Jack Dalek, possibly because if you wanted to make a Dalek more racist, what do you do? You paint it with a, a yeah. particular flag, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the Brexit Dalek. Um, it is, isn't well, it? Brexit I, Dalek. I, I look forward to when I'm back, you know, the first thing I'll do, you know, parents and seeing, you know, old folk that I'm related to can wait. I will yeah. make a beeline straight for the new Dalek and I'll, I'll come around and have a ride in him. And the nice thing is, is now I'm only 10 minutes around the corner from your parents. So, you oh, know. They, so dad can pop around and have a go when he fancies. Exactly. He can pop around and have a look and see all the other nah. bits and bobs. You see, his trouble might not be that he's too tall for it. It might be that he's too wide to get in it these days. I haven't seen him for a while. <laughs> nah, he'd be all right. It's actually quite spacious. Well, it's still quite, it's, it's a bit narrow around your head, but compared to Derek... You, you can yeah. actually move your legs around quite That's what I'm worried about. You know, aeroplane seats are an issue for me and obviously yeah. my height is a whole thing. So, well, that's my, good. That I is feel my a bit concern. Better, my concern is yeah. that you're too, when you're sat down, you're too long from the waist up. Yeah, uh, my trunk it's, is it's, too big. Yeah, so I'm, I'm worried that your head, like the, the dome won't fit on it. Cause <laughs> I'll, have to, like... I'll have to crouch. I'll just be like that the whole yeah. time. I did have a... Weird. I had a dream last night that I had a Cyberman helmet on. I had a... Right. This, this is, you know, what Doctor Who fans dream of, obviously. I had a revenge yeah. Cyberman helmet on. And I actually had a slight panic attack in my dream about being screwed into it. Because I just thought, oh my God. if I don't like it, and I freak yeah. out. It's going to take forever yeah. for someone to get me out of it. So, yeah. you know, those are the kind I mean, of nightmares I, I, that I have. <laughs> I've tried the Cyber Leader head-on from my Cyber Leader suit. And I didn't mm. screw it in. But compared to, like, say, that one, the Revenge one, yeah. which felt, which is so much bigger, or it feels a bit bigger, mm. it, you just feel, once that plate goes on, you're like, oh, my God. I can really imagine yeah, that yeah. if this was screwed in... Ooh, you are just because it just feels like your nose is just like that against the the front. Well, of the yeah, there's thing. that, but also the fact that they had to put it in sideways yeah. and then turn their head inside of it. So yeah. that I mean, that's even more like claustrophobic. Like your your nose scraping yeah. against the front of it. Hey, look. So that's all the crazy Doctor Who talk out of the way. Let's do some more crazy Doctor Who talk. No season twenty. I mean, um, new collection set announced yet. Um, and people are getting <laughs> very upset Ian, about well, <laughs> much yeah. to Ian Levine's fury. You know, how He's dare they? Upset. How dare they not have released another collection set? It's disgusting. It was, it's it was disgusting, fine during it? COVID, but now they've got no excuse apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, so no, no new season, whatever. Um, set announced. I, I yet, almost, and... I always re- replied to him and said. Don't make any difference to me. I've still not finished season nine. I'm only on the mutants. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people I've spoken to who got that set are like, oh, I'm still like, you know, less than halfway through watching the stuff on it. I mean, my, my problem is, like, once upon a time, it would just be I would watch the box set. Then I moved in mm. with Mum and Johnny, and it was, oh, I need to watch the box set with Jonathan. Then Annie yeah. came and lived... So it's like, right, I've got to watch it with the pair of them. And now it's just the three of us living together in one house. So every time it's just me and Annie at home, we're like, oh, should we watch uh, the the box? Oh, no, we can't because Jonathan's not here. So we're waiting for him. 
pain I don't in the know ass. about you guys, but I smell a sitcom. I yeah. smell a sitcom coming out of this. Um, missing episodes as well. So there's been a lot of chat about, um, well, apparently the missing episode forum went into meltdown. Yeah. Um, there was some rows on the missing episode forum. Now, all we know is we don't know. And <laughs> all we know is that we don't know anything. Yeah. Um, Philip Morris says there are four missing episodes in the UK that he knows right. about and a further two overseas. And right. Paul Venezes says he knows of two missing episodes, possibly three. Yeah. Um, that are floating around. I, you know, not that Philip Morris is necessarily the most reliable of individuals for things like this, but I, what I've heard is there are four missing episodes in the UK in the hands of private collectors. Yeah. And I don't know what they are. No. Um, I think there's a few n- titles that do buzz around. That, yeah. Like, um, of, of, you know, certain episodes that are around. Um, but it's the same old stuff. Like, like, you know, you hear news about the missing episodes, but it's never news. It's just like somebody else has popped up and said, oh yeah, no, there are X number of whatevers around, but there's still yeah. nothing to substantiate that. So, No. And then there's the other story, um, not that this means anything, but the gentleman that located uh, Galaxy mm. 4 airlock and episode two of Underwater Menace recently passed away uh, and yes. he left a huge collection of stuff most of which, or half of which, uh, wasn't even labelled. So uh, I believe that there are a couple of people on Twitter who are going through the collection and trying to sort out what's what. Yes. And hopefully, uh, so maybe Richard, there's some more Doctor Who in there. You never know. You never know. Richard Latto, as I understand it, has inherited Terry Burnett, I think his name is. Um, right. He's inherited the collection. Um, but okay. I guess, yeah, they're working their way through it. Because I, yeah. I, I think it was Stephen Cranford, was it? Im- was it? That- Posted about it. On oh, and Twitter. Stephen Cranford. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Right. I I can't imagine that if there was an episode of Doctor Who in that collection already, that it wouldn't have been mentioned or at least submitted to the Beeb or whatever. Because I, I I mean I know they're unlabeled, but was the the, the Galaxy Four and uh, Underwater Menace tapes were they labeled? I guess they must have been. I think they might have been labeled as Doctor Who, but. Mm whether or not they were labelled specifically or mm. maybe they were mislabeled as other stories. I can't really remember now. Um, but you never know who, you know, there might be something It'll just turn out that we get a bunch of new fucking episodes of Basil Brush that have just turned up out of nowhere. It'll be something <laughs> boring and shit like that. Um, Lenny Rush has joined the cast of Series 14. Have you seen... Um, am I being unreasonable, Matt? I haven't. My brother has. He, he thoroughly enjoyed it. Um... Yeah. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do in Doctor Who. Because he just won a BAFTA, didn't he? Yeah. He did just win a BAFTA. Um, I watched it. I watched amazing. the BAFTAs and I watched him get his awards. So it was, it was yeah. weird because then like a few weeks such... later. Go on. He, well, he yeah, got announced. a few weeks later he then gets announced. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is... Re- his comic timing is just like unbelievable. Like considering how young he is, like it's just nuts how yeah. good he is in front of a camera already. Like, he's got such a great charisma. And I was thinking, like, yeah, I mean, he's destined to be in Doctor Who at some point. He's just so good. Um, so, yeah, yeah fantastic that, that he's in the series. Um, and then uh, just finally, obviously, we've got more filming happening. I mean, filming may be wrapping soon, I guess, on 40, on season 14. 
Um, fairly uh, soon. I guess so, because they're filming the finale, aren't they, at the moment? Yeah, they're in the last block at the moment, which has seen Shooty and Bonnie flying around on a on a moped. I think Shooty said moped, he was yeah. really hungover that morning when they were shooting because he'd just come yes. from a festival in Paris. Um, yeah. That boy works hard, I tell you that. He was, uh, he was, during, RTD, he was, he was up to no good at the riots. <laughs> he kicked it off. Um, yeah. RTD's posted a, a three-word teaser in DWM for season 15, which has already started writing, uh, which include the uh, phrases garden, firmament, and diploma. So I can imagine from that first one, we've got the vervoids coming back. Um, Lovely. Which would be very exciting. Um, but yeah, I think that's Will everything they look even more penis than ever? I, I hope so. More penis and wearing leather gear. That's what I'm expecting <laughs> from it, is uh, leather jackets and Doc Martens. Speaking of leather gear, Shooty Gap has got another costume. So, yeah, so he's got that biker gear costume, and then yeah. he's also got like a military costume as well. He's got like combat fatigues yeah. on. I mean, what's going on? He's got more costumes than John Pertwee. I kind of like that. But but I, the only thing I'm a little bit iffy on is that they are quite, besides the fact it's like a shirt and a jacket, yeah. they're, quite, they're all quite severe departures. It's not like you've got the same silhouette out of each outfit which i suppose is yeah. great for al because it means he'll be able to produce umpteen versions of shooty's doctor in various outfits um and i'm sure that russell is no doing it's, that it's, it's no good it's no purpose. good for him he, he, he wants one one silhouette that he can just repaint yeah one one jacket that he can change the color on every like yeah two years um yeah i mean it's it's interesting out of all the ones we've seen i only really like the announced the the announcement photo one um the leather one which is basically like tenants i like his shaft outfit yeah yeah the shaft shaft and also um the beanie which i think is just such a going to be such an iconic look oh yeah the beanie one looked quite good didn't it yeah and the 60s one i think the 60s one is the best one Although Regency Doctor Who look pretty cool too. Yeah, they. I mean, they all look good. I think it's. I mean, just, he looks good in I anything. Mean, this is the problem. That's that's the thing. I I can imagine him starting each adventure maybe in one of those two kind of central outfits, and then yeah, he gets into costume for one. And it does seem like from what he's been saying to people on location, and from what people have been seeing on location. It does look like we are actually getting a Beatles episode of Doctor Who. Really? What? Because, so people have seen actors or extras dressed as Beatles on location. Um, are we talking we had... John, Ringo, etc. or insectoid creatures? Because this is Doctor Who. It could be either. I mean, that would be brilliant if they all just, the in the studio, they all just turn into these like fucking... <laughs> Yeah, the millipedes. Um, so people saw that on location. Uh, oh, spoilers, by the way. Uh, also, um, there's there was that bit shot of Shooty and Millie walking across Abbey Road. Oh, yeah. Um, which was actually just a street in Newport, I think, or something. Um, and also... It's Doctor Who, everything is just a street in Newport. <laughs> every, I, I, we'll get to it. Waters of Mars... There's a there's a one street in Newport in particular that oh, plays really? quite a special role in this, um, and 
Also, I think I saw on Twitter, Shooty signed somebody's notepad, and it was like a Beatle notepad, and he said, you're going to love the 60s episode. So, you know, let's see what happens there, but it would be great if it does happen. Wow. I mean, um, that would be really exciting. Um, Could it be the uh, Disney also, money? Because Disney have got uh, well, that Beatles documentary. Maybe Russell was like, look, if we've got the money... It would make sense, you know, and I kind of wonder... Because, so Magical Mystery Tour apparently turns up in the new Indiana Jones. All oh, right, I'm seeing that tomorrow. Oh, well, Although, as of, as of this um, going out, uh, I will have seen it. You've already seen it? Yeah. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed I... or not enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Or I was very middling on it, yeah. like Curse of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Um, I uh, I wonder if this is a completely separate topic for a Beatles-themed podcast that Annie and I can start. Yeah. But I wonder if um, they're going to sell their catalogue to Disney soon. Mm. Um, it seems to be going that way that a lot of artists are like selling their back catalogue. Yeah. And with that happening and also them using Peter Jackson's tech that they used for the Beatle Doc to do this new Beatle single yeah. um, now and then. I wonder if they're going to end up selling their catalogue. And if anybody gets it, it'll probably be Disney. It kind of makes sense for it to go to Disney. Yeah. Um, so maybe they know something we don't and um, they'll get... I mean, it'll be great until the episode comes out on home media when they just have to strip all the Beatle music from, <laughs> <Can you imagine? laughs> from the episode and then it has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. They just play some generic <laughs> 60s jangly music over the top. Um, but hey, there we go. Right. The waters of Exciting Mars, times. Matthew. You shrunk on my screen. I've shrunk. Oh, you're back. Yeah, your I'm bandwidth is too low. Oh, mate, I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised my bandwidth is too low. I'm, I'm in a shed in the middle yeah, of I, New Zealand. I'm in the middle of New Zealand's most... One. It's probably a sheep or something chewing on some cables outside. <laughs> There's a sheep just wandered past the Wi-Fi perimeter and yeah. has interrupted it it's with its wooliness. It. It's, just, it's just stopped there. <laughs> or Tom Baker, superannuation Tom Baker's turned up and gone, ah! Yeah. And has interrupted ah. the bandwidth. Um, uh, speaking of so, which, yeah. we've got a Tom yeah. Baker Patreon video. Uh, oh, for people God, out yeah. There. Let's plug the Patreon real quick. Um, yeah. If you like the review of Death, but you're a bit sick of having a week off of it when it comes out every fortnight, yeah. then head over to the review of Death Patreon, where you can become a patron from as little as £3 a month and you get access to a bonus episode every other Thursday, so you get yeah. a weekly podcast that way. Um, and we're making our way through the 60th anniversary Big Finish CDs. Yep. But most importantly, and perhaps most bewilderingly and terrifyingly of all, uh, we did a commentary for the Tom Baker video fucking confession tape slash religious <laughs> Um, sort of mental purging breakdown. session. <laughs> yeah, mental breakdown. Um, just who on earth is Tom Baker, which genuinely needs to be seen to be believed. Yeah. I can't quite fathom still what we saw that day. Um, I, I, I and... watched it with Johnny and Annie like a couple of days after and they were just agog. <laughs> just like, what is it, this? It's, it is honestly unbelievable. So that is coming out as of you watching this now on yeah. Thursday or Friday of the week this comes out. It's coming out next week. 
So get your Patreon pledges in and you can watch it, plus a bunch of other commentaries, reviews. There's a whole live show on there we've never released. There's lots of really cool features and bits and bobs on there, plus updates um, and ways to get involved in the podcast and the Discord. Nice. Um, so The Waters of Mars. Now, this was selected by yeah. our... Uh, followers on Twitter and Instagram. So thank you for everybody who voted. Um, did I tell you what came second? What we nearly ended up doing? Was it the War Machines? Yeah. So we had to do that at some point. Yeah. I like the War Machines. It's all right. War Machines is great. It, I mean, I was kind of surprised that that was uh, so high up on people's lists yeah. for us to do. Um, well, there we go. We haven't done a Hartnell for a while, I guess. We Although haven't. We, we probably ought to. We did do Dark Invasion of Earth, didn't we? We haven't done a pat in ages. We should do a pat. We haven't point. done a pat in a long time. Okay, we should do a pat because um, there's a Hartnell coming up later in the year that I definitely want us to do. Right. Um, because of who may or may not be returning to the show through the 60th anniversary specials. Um, so yeah, we will. We'll definitely do a, a pat and a, and a bill in the next few months for yeah. sure. Um, so the Waters of Mars is an episode that you and I. When we were in our kind of biggest Doctor Who hater period, we're like, hey, well, at least that one's good yeah. out of the new series stories. Like, this was always the one we were like, yes, this is properly good Doctor Who. Yeah. And uh, I went into it with that mindset and I came out, you know, basically feeling the same. couple more caveats, maybe, uh, that we'll, we'll come round to. But I absolutely love this one. Yeah, same. I mean, it's just bloody good, isn't it, really, just from start to finish. Mm. I mean, it's it's so good that um, Annie and I watched it and Johnny came home one night and he said, oh, what have you been up to? And we said, oh, we watched The Waters of Mars. And he went, oh, why are you watching that for? And we're like, well, it's for the review of death. He's like, oh, that one. I was like, Waters of Mars is really good. And he was like, wait, which one's this? With David Tennant. Oh, with the water creatures. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So even him. What other yeah. episode? With, if, with, what the waters of Mars has the water creatures in it? Like, I think he, I think he was thinking of the ice warriors and Empress of Mars. Uh, I think he was getting a bit muddled. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. It is just brilliant. It's what a what a good story to mm. sort of not end his era on, but almost end his era on. A great penultimate story. A great penultimate story. Um, and the way it ends is, is really interesting. Honestly, the way that it ends is the only thing I have an issue with with this story. But we'll obviously get round to that when we when we come to it. Um, uh, I mean, I had very few through... issues. I must really? say, I had very few issues. I had an issue at the start, which okay. is only minor. And I, I think you might agree with me. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Um Matt, can you give us a rendition of Everybody in Love by JLS, please? I've no idea how that goes. Come on! It was only on, it was only number one for bloody ages or something. It was in the charts for Everybody, Everybody in love, love, come put, put your, your hands, hands up. up. Yeah, that's it. I, yeah, I don't, know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know it, but I, I recognise it, yeah. You love it. You've got it on repeat. I know you do. Um, UK box office <laughs> When you number said JLS, was... I was like, Justice League Society? What? Oh, for fuck's sake. Jack the lad swing. Um, 
UK box office number one. Apparently, that's what dad told me. And my, my dad my dad knows more about JLS than I do. It's not even from his bloody generation. I, I think you just that. liked the fact love, they were called that. I love that. your dad's probably just like, oh, I'll just come up with some, some shit. It might actually <laughs> not mean that at all. Yeah, <laughs> won't, I won't. I won't. I'm not going to look into it. Um, I think at that point I was just like listening to Tenacious D on a loop. That was it. I wasn't really listening to much else. Um, UK box office number one, 2012, the disaster movie. Christ, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was number one, the box office. Um, And in video games, five days before this episode was broadcast, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 came out. Oh, nice. So that's how far back we're going. So in the same week, people had to deal with the Time Lord Victorious and Ghost being betrayed by General Shepard. It's just tragic, tragic (laughs) all around. Um, Written by Russell T. Davis and Phil Ford. Yep. um, Who uh, was co-producer of the Sarah Jane Adventures. And he also, the only other TV Doctor Who credit he's got is another co-writing credit with Moff on Into the Dalek, I believe. Yeah. Um, and Dreamland which is a good episode and Dreamland yeah which he yeah. wrote solely by himself and he also wrote the Torchwood episode where Gwen is impregnated by that alien creature and it interrupts her wedding with Reese. that's such a good episode it is a good episode that's like the the batshit comedy one you yeah know, they were like why not let's just yeah. do that um directed by Graham Harper I know you see that name at the beginning and that is just that's a sign of quality. It's, it's, it is. It's, safe, it is. I mean, it's safe hands and you think, oh, this is going to be good. I was looking through the list of episodes he's done and, you know, there aren't many stinkers, if any, in there, really. There's So Androzani yeah. was his first story. I mean, he I mean, was working on the show as far back as bloody Power of the Daleks on the, on the floor. Yeah. And then he took his director's course. And then the first story he's given as a director is Androzani. I mean, it's just like... yeah. You can't get much better than that. Um, like shake Revelation up. of the, yeah, yeah. Revelation of the Daleks, uh, and then he comes back for the new series with Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel, really good. Um, Army of Ghosts, Doomsday, yeah, Forty Two, Utopia, yeah. Time Crash, wow. Planet of the Ood, The Unicorn and the Wasp, Turn Left, The Stolen Earth, Journey's End, and this, which up until now uh, is his most recent and probably his last contribution to the series wow um, i didn't realize he did so many in series four yeah fucking hell he did a lot Isn't it i love that he did time crash as well i i didn't, re- didn't remember that so that's nice that uh, they probably thought hey look the only way we're going to get peter davison back is yeah. if we give him a moffat script and the best director that you work with yeah which was annoyingly his last episode yeah. <laughs> um so you said that the main problem that you had with this story was right at the start. What was what was that grievance? Um, so we, we start off with that lovely vista of Mars and the TARDIS lands and really nice materialisation effect because you've got that poof mm-hmm. of dust. Really good. Um, yeah. I just think the pre-title sting is a bit weak because you've got the Doctor on that clifftop seeing Bowie Base oh, yeah. 1... And then Inspector Gadget comes up behind him. Da, 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 da. 
Gadget, gadget. Yeah, that robot fucked me off <laughs> as well. Actually, the robot doesn't fuck me off. It's the guy. It's the guy who operates the Roman. robot. Roman. Yeah, yeah. Roman yeah. the wanker. He's a right irritating. Oh my just, god. Oh, he's so annoying. Anywho, um, yeah. So uh, I, I think that's a bit of a weak opener. This shitty robot mm. is just like it, and the doctors, you know. And it's annoying because if they let the pre-titles go on. Maybe by four or five minutes longer. Yeah. You would have had the transformation, the first transformation of one of the people. And, you know, that scene ends with, um, is it Andy? Is he the first guy that transforms? Um, You know, it ends with him turning to the camera and her screaming and then it cuts. That could have easily Mm. have been a cut to the base. And as it zooms out, we we have the scream of the theme tune and then... That that would have been. I suppose good. you could have had that, or you could have had um, the Doctor figuring out what the Bowie Base One thing is all about, like what it means. Or, yeah, yeah. Because I think does that happen before we see Andy turn, or is that is Andy turn first? I, I think it might do. Mm, I it can't might, remember. It now. might happen. Yeah, but yeah yes, no, that's, I think that's it, yeah, a good it, point. It does. Um, Gadget is an interesting one because I, I think, I mean, no, it's I think, undoubtedly I think what they're going... Gadget, Gadget. Sorry, Gadget, Gadget. I think undoubtedly what they're going for is Wally because Wally came out the year before and yeah. I watched the... right fucking Wally. Um, <laughs> he's a right fucking Wally. I watched, uh, courtesy of, of uh, William Carlyle, thanks for sending me the link, I watched the uh, Doctor Who Confidential for this story uh, last night. Ooh. And it was really interesting because they feature quite a lot of the tone meeting for this episode. I guess because they knew they were going to be pushing the boundaries with the look mm-hmm. of the flood and how kind of scary um, they were going to be. Because uh, I seem to remember them trailing this a bit like they trailed Blink in the lead up to that episode going out. They were kind of saying, this one might be a bit frightening for the for the kids. Maybe yeah. just a bit of a heads up. Um, but... Gadget Gadget in that tone meeting basically just looks like Wally. Um, mm. And I think as they got closer to broadcast, they probably went, we have to maybe change it up a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, like he, Gadget Gadget is fine. It is Roman that is the kind of the cringy aspect of it. Like that bit yeah. where the Doctor zaps Gadget Gadget and... Roman's getting electrocuted was I was what I watched yeah. this episode with Stell. So she she dropped in with a couple of great quotes that I'll get to. But it was one of those nice. moments where you're like, if anybody walks in on this, you know, those yeah. Doctor Who moments, you're like, oh please, please don't walk in on, on this moment. It's just so embarrassing. Um yeah. so yeah, I mean Gadget Gadget is fine uh, as he is. I think it's his creator that's the the cretinous yeah. one, really. And, and there's this really, this really annoying thing that I, I seem to remember a lot of Doctor Who at that time used to do, where the Doctor says, oh, you know, remote control or whatever he says. And then the guy is like, yeah, turn to the left and turn to the right. It's like, we all know what fucking remote control is, dipshit. You don't <laughs> need to tell us. But they do it a lot. They do it in the Cyberman story. You know, they're like, oh, we ha- we like, oh, he's voice controlled and turn left, and they mu- ch- ch- oh yeah, and yeah. It's like, okay, we get it. You don't need to show us. I don't but know. The show is made primarily for six, seven, and eight year olds, Matt. Well, 
Open your fucking dopey ears, you dirty little <laughs> shit. Come on. Oh, God. Okay. Um, we, we touched on them very, very briefly uh, at the start, but let's talk about the flood. Yeah. Um, not the Eighth Doctor comic strip, but the oh, villains the flood. Of yes, this. I remember that one very well. Yes, the flood. What a fantastic adventure. Um, the flood are so good looking. Um, well, they're so not good handsome. Looking. Oh, they're so uh, good looking. <laughs> I'd, I'd go out with one. God, give us a sloppy snog. Um, <laughs> the flood look great. I mean, that yeah. is Millennium Effects working at their absolute peak of prosthetics. Yeah. And again, watching Confidential was really interesting because they do a test of the water effect that just doesn't work uh, on right. Paul Casey. They're on the Torchwood Hub, and they kind of fit this bald cap to him, and it's supposed to look like it's kind of coming out of his hairline. And right. he's obviously, like, blinking <laughs> the whole time as it's kind of running over his face, and they're like, this <laughs> just, is not going to work. That just reminds me of that bit in Airplane when he's, when he's oh, sweating. Oh, yeah, when he's sweating. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, but... What's really cool is you, you you see a few versions of the prosthetics that they've kind of mocked up that they show at the tone meeting and Julie Gardner saying, I think this one is going too far. Right. And I think Nikki Wilson as well is there and sort of saying, yeah, I think if you can blend those, because one of them, I think their, their hair falls out as a result of like being infected by the flood. And they Ooh, all, they, they have this kind of, yeah, and they're kind of bold and... They've got these, you know, really white eyes and it's all cracked sort of up to their the top of their head and stuff. It's really yeah. freaky. Um, I, but I think that they've pitched it perfectly. I think yeah. it's, it's horrible looking, but it's not sort of, you can't maintain co- eye contact with the screen looking at yeah. them, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, when we watched it, I said to Annie, I was like, do you think I could show the kids this? And she was like, Hell no. She's like, no way can you show them that. Um, Yeah, it's one of those things where, which Doctor Who does so well, where they get the simplest seeming idea and it just works, you know. Mm. Just this idea of water just cascading out of you. Um, And like you said, it's not really completely horrific. You know, the, the fissures around the mouth are... They're sort of simple. It's not bloody. It's not gory. No. But it's just the cracks and that black maw. And I think that coupled with the white eye contact lenses, you know, it, it, it just really makes for a great design. Um, it's a shame, really, that we never got a figure of it because one was produced. Mm. There was there was one planned, but uh, it just never ah. never got released. Yeah. I find it quite ironic how dehyd- severely dehydrated they look with the crack, considering that they're just... Yeah. Pissing water out of their face. But that's like a cool, <laughs> you know, yeah. thing that they've got going on there. Um, and, it, and, it, and, and I remember like, at the time people sort of said, oh, it looks a bit like the Ice Warriors as well, because it's just oh, yeah. in that little area. Uh, and obviously yeah. this is the first time the Ice Warriors get a mention, I think, in the new series. They get a mention on screen, yeah. And they're kind of purposefully skirting around what their relationship was with the Flood, whether or not they like... That, that was the reason that the Ice Warriors had to leave Mars yeah. or if they were the ones that managed to like freeze it in the in the ice block. Yeah. Um, but th- they were quite heavy, I think, on the science of this at the time, even though maybe watching it, it seems a bit more fantastical than uh, it really was because I think maybe just a couple of years after they discovered 
that there was water on yes, Mars. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously all the memes popped up on Twitter. Um, but it's definitely, you know, it's near future. It's probably as close to near future as Doctor Who got around that time to sort of saying, you know, theoretically we could be up there living on a habitable base like that. And of course we'd have to have, you know, a, a way of growing vegetables and all yeah. that. Um, when Andy turns um, and he takes a bite of the of the veg, Stell was like, "Is this is this about evil carrots?" She was convinced that that was going to be the cut and thrust of this as the carrot got them all. Um, but I mean, she's uh, not wrong. <laughs> she's not wrong. It was the carrot. Um, but it's just, they, they, they as a villain are just, you're right, it's so simple. And I think that, that the way that they turn the convulsions yeah, is just so very creepy. creepy. And the way that they they kind of set it up as like an aesthetic that... It happens not off camera, yeah. but it happens, you know, in the background. So it's, you don't really you, see what's going on. It's so well directed that, yeah, those shots mm. where you've got, um, you know, you've got the girl rabbiting on about just bollocks and yeah. he's in the background out of focus, but you see him drop to his knees. And like I said, you see the convulsions. It is masterfully directed and he does it, yeah. you know, later on as well. Um, and like, it's great because when Andy turns, the water sort of spits out of his mouth across yeah. the camera lens. So it's almost like mm. a POV shot for her. And that's it. You know, she's yeah. been hit by the water and then we cut. She's done. Um, it's, yeah, it's so good. So good. And the way that the guy, the other guy converts him with his hand on his head. And yeah, sort of like that is like something from a horror film. It's so good. That is such a great shot. And, and the way that they're kind of, their torches appear and are kind of like moving between. Yeah him and, and Andy on, on his knees and stuff. And it's just like, and, it's so, it's so good. And one bit of, I don't know if it was serendipity or not, but something that I always love in that sequence is obviously the water is very cold or the water might be warm. I'm not sure, but there's condensation that is just yeah, coming, coming off, off of them. both of them. And it just adds to this whole aura of this is some freaky shit going on. It, well, it is, it is cold water because apparently it had to be a certain temperature for it to be safe for them to, to kind of come oh, out of okay. their mouths in case they swallowed some of it. Yeah. So apparently it was cold. So they're all freezing yeah. on that location. God. You know. Um, yeah. And when was and this they shot? For their art. Was this shot in the winter? Oh as well? God, who knows? Probably around winter. Yeah. I mean, it's Probably Wales. It's always year. bloody winter. So it's always bloody <laughs> freezing. Of course, we're on a quarry at the start as well. Yeah. Like, and it's based under siege. It's just like classic Doctor Who. It really is. You it, know? It's a great. Just oh, it's just perfect isn't it really i i also liked and i don't it's something that i completely forgot until it happened was the kind of part human part infected flood the lady yeah her eyes who, don't go who do gets they? converted yeah and i thought that was that's like just adds another le level to them that the fact that they can they have that duplicitous sort of like um covert nature to them yeah which i think just because it's only a small aspect of <clears throat> of them in this story and it does feel like that's something you could maybe tap into again because the doctor's always on, on about you know water waits water's patient mm. you know the way that he uh kind of characterizes water yeah um 
I think there's room for them to come back. Maybe not in the exact same way that they do here. Maybe that could be like the end game. Like you yeah. finally see a fully converted flood or whatever. But I think the fact that they can kind of hold off on fully becoming, you know, the flood and they can infiltrate, I think that is a really cool additional part to their character that I completely yeah. forgot about. I mean, to just you saying that then, I was just about to ask you, I was going to say, well, what do you think do you think they could come back and initially i was going to say no but then when you sort of said oh you know if you did it differently and you know maybe you see a fully converted flood i was thinking you could probably do something almost quite last of us sort of thing with this yeah where you could have like a planet that has been besieged by this they you know the flood or whatever um and water is the commodity because you know all water is tainted and you've only got a few people surviving um or they've like, we have actually now fully exhausted our supply. Yeah. You know, and now all we have left, I guess, is the, you know, somebody who's so desperate, so like, they can't, you know, because you can't live without water. I think yeah. that is something that they don't tap into is the fact that we are, what is it, 98% water or whatever, or the planet, you know, obviously yeah. she mentions there's so much water down on Earth. I think that there's there's more you can do with them, but I think that, in order to preserve this story almost and to add another layer to the flood, you need to do something different. I don't think you can just do another yeah. zombified running around corridors, cracked face thing. I think no. if you want to do the flood again, it has to be different. Um, and I think yeah. there's a lot more that you could do with them. Yeah, you're right. There's different scenarios you can put them into. Um, yeah. The kind of, besides the flood, the main crux of this story is basically the the 10th Doctor and his sort yeah. of relationship with time. His time is running out. We know that he's got two more specials to go. Um, what did you think of the trailer as well at the end, for the end of time? Oh, yeah, that, that took me back, seeing that. Oh, God, I remember yeah. re-watching that, you know, rewinding it back and re-watching it. It's a really good moral dilemma, this. And it works very well with the 10th Doctor because... I guess his doctor is slightly more emotionally charged than other doctors. You know, I don't know if I could mm. really see Tom working in the same He'd be way. Gone. He 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 wouldn't yeah. be hanging around. He'd be like, "Fuck you lot, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm um, down the pub." Yeah, bye. Um, here, have a jelly, baby. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 and you know, the story does a, a, a good um, good job of framing exactly who everybody is. And, you know, all these people are going to die. I think that's my other gripe with this. And it's, again, very minor. Uh, it's that bit at the beginning when he's like, oh, you're so-and-so. And then is chum, cut to the, uh, the That got screen. a bit daft after a Doom. while, yeah. Close in on the headline. Doom, close in yeah. on the picture. And you're like, for every single one of them, he's like, there's about fucking seven people here. He's like, come on, we get, get it, on with it. We yeah. get it. They all died. Yes, right, we know. Um, <laughs> but uh, that aside, yeah, it's very clever because you do think, you're like, well, what the hell, what is he going to do? And obviously, it's, the doctor is uh, instinctively wants to help people. Um, he doesn't want to leave them in the lurch. Um, so it does create a very good moral dilemma uh, i don't think we've have we ever had a story quite like that since i guess if you did no. it, it would just feel like you're treading on what has been before really yeah you're just doing this again i think yeah it's almost like the the only 
sort of equivalent I could draw is it's a bit like, you know, the base under siege thing is so done in Doctor Who. You know, yeah. it's it is the archetype of of you almost have to break down seasons into well, this is the season opener. Here's the multi-part yeah. Dalek story. Here's the finale, and here's the base under siege story. It just is an archetype of of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, but this is almost like that bit in Austin Powers where the guy gets squashed by the steamroller, and you flash back and you see his life. <laughs> yeah. It's like. All those faceless and nameless technicians and starship captains that have been offed by rubber monsters or yeah. Daleks or Cybermen in previous space under siege stories. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, no, if you dig down, you know, this is an event in history, like the moon base, for example. That's like, yeah. you, know, you can imagine all of their obits and stuff now. Yeah. And I think that this this was the first time that Doctor Who really tapped into the reality of you know, these things. And I think having the 10th yeah. Doctor there, you're right, he is the conduit through which you would experience sort of those emotional beats. Like, okay, these yeah. are real people and they're really going through this. And again, the flood, I think, is great for that because it's so tangible, like the yeah. threat of it and the way that the, the water is shot. And I, they, they were very, very, uh, again, from watching Confidential, they were very, very careful to go, look, if we shoot it like this, you know, one, remember one drop, one splash. So if we shoot like that and it looks like they may have got splashed by some water that's hit the floor that's come from the ceiling, well, they're yeah. dead. And as an audience member, you're like, okay, well, they're dead. Yeah. So to get Graham Harper to do it, who was such a meticulous director and he's so good with his cuts and, and the way he shoots through things, um, it's all part of, of adding to that yeah. that horror of it, mm. really. And, and I think humanising them and doing this whole thing, it just... Every base under siege story afterwards, I think, has to look to the waters of Mars. Yeah. And go, you know, you can't just off a bunch of random faceless soldiers or people in helmets or people in lab coats. Yeah. You know, you have to really sort of examine the fact that these are people and this is happening to them. Yeah. And it does it very cleverly because, I mean, I said earlier about when um, Andy gets transformed and the other girl is just sort of wittering on about stuff. But that stuff is what cements her as a real person. And they all person, have their yeah. own little, you know, it always seems to be as someone is being transformed, they're just waffling on about, oh, you know, my brother back home was doing this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, obviously the really sad one that you get is the, the girl towards the end. Uh, I don't yeah. know if I noticed her name down. Steffi, I think Steffi, her name is. that's right. Um, and then she's, you know, she knows that she's going to be a goner any second or she's, she yeah. might have already been hit by the water. But she puts on the home video of her kids yeah. or whatever. Um, and it's heartbreaking because you think, well, that's the last thing she ever, she's ever going to see. Um, and then when she turns, by that point, the yeah. cracks have already started to show. But she's still got the human eyes. Like there's still a little yeah. bit of her clinging on. Um, it's just so, so cleverly done. But do you know who the MVP of that moment is? And I think of this episode, it's Murray Gold. I think yes. that is one of the most beautifully scored moments, that. Because it's yeah. got that disaster movie kind of inevitable heartbreak thing going on. Like, everybody yep. here is going to eventually face, you know, their maker. Um, yep. And I think that the way that he scores that moment is just perfect. Because there's something kind of beautiful about it. You know, there's something... Yeah that's kind of it's epic but it's also yeah. very personal and it's very it's a, it's a yeah. real tragedy you know 
Yeah. Um, but I think Murray, this, this has got to be one of his finest moments. Oh, I think so. And I think, yeah, and that, that moment when she sort of turns around and that, yeah, that sort of gentle music, music sort of yeah. turns to something slightly more horrifying. But like you said, there's still that beauty to it. I don't know why, but that f- always has. It always reminds me of Curse of Femric. And I can't rem- can't think what bit in Curse of Femric, but there's there's something of the music there that always reminds me of something from Femric because mm. I think there's just like a bit of synthiness in it. Uh, and obviously Mark yeah, Ayers right. was obviously sort of trying to mix more sort of orchestral sounds, even though it was all done on synthesizers. Yeah. Um, you know, he was trying to get that sound out of things to make, I guess, Doctor Who feel more filmic. Um, and so here you're sort of doing the reverse. You've got an actual orchestra, but you've just got the bit of the electronic stuff coming through. I hope you get more of that in the new series, you know, because I think later on, Murray starts to play with a lot of electronic music in sort of more of the Peter Capaldi stuff. Yeah, I think it suits it, is that blending, because then it kind of brings, it's, it's, you know, literally the past and the future kind of... Orally, uh, orally, hourly, uh, yeah, um, yeah, sort yeah. of like coming together and, and fusing. Um, but I thought that bit was just fantastic. Also, the bit where they're being chased out of the botanical dome as well yeah. is, is a great bit of music. Um, yeah. yeah, Steffi watching her, her kids while she gets infected. The slow motion bit uh, yeah. on the surface of Mars when the Doctor looks over at the destroyed shuttle. That yeah, is a brilliant piece of music. Really cool. um, yeah, and then obviously the kind of the veil decim kind of bit that plays when he sees Ud yeah. Sigma in the snow. And yep. I don't know if I misheard it, but I haven't watched any other 10th Doctor stories that recently. I think there's a slight hint of the uh, Geronimo 11th Doctor regeneration track. You know, the, the piece of oh, music really? that plays right at the end of... The end of time. I think there's a bit of that in here somewhere. Oh, maybe. Oh, um, yeah, that does. That does. That plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's just. It, it's it's effortless for for Murray Gold. Like the just effortlessly elevating those yeah. moments and and just pitching it just perfectly to hit the right note and just to, you know, the, obviously there is a bit of an OTT kind of okay, you're really tugging at my heartstrings and it's not really connecting with how I'm feeling emotionally on screen. Yeah. But when those two things do meet and they are perfectly pitched, he, there's nobody better than him, you know? Um, And it made me excited to hear his music again because when he's on form, you know, and he's he's all guns blazing and he's really got material to get his teeth around, then it works, you know, and and he, you know, he he isn't really bettered. Very much so. Um, And I think also... uh, before we move on to, because I think we should talk about Adelaide Brooke uh, in a moment, mm. because obviously she's a, a key part of this story. Um, the production design on this story is also really good. And it sort of goes back to what you said earlier about that, you know, this story is only set not that far in the future. Like you said, you can imagine it happening. And I think because they obviously shot this on location in a couple of different places and it feels mm. very industrial it feels very real, you know, it it doesn't feel like some of the spaceships or some of the space stations mm. that we've had in older Doctor Who stories where, you know, it is like sci-fi sort of uh, mm. of the future sort of thing. You know, it feels very 
now. And it's like, well, actually, I feel like I've seen this kind of kit in, you know, um, NASA videos yeah. or, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, and it just really helps sell that realism, um, which is really great, even with a janky robot. Even that yeah. feels like, I have a feeling although it's janky, it feels like a proper probe thing. I, I'm fairly certain that parts of this were done on the Torchwood hub, on the old Torchwood set. Yeah. Because there's like that circular door and the bit where the flood are all in a line and they're putting their hands in the air. I mean, I only really twigged watching Confidential, but yeah. um, when the when the water's pouring over their heads, I'm fairly certain bits of that are done on the hub. Um, oh, right. I, I guess because that. the set was big enough for them to be able to do all the yeah. water effects because, you know, everything's running at 12 volts so that nobody gets electrocuted and... Um, they're obviously being very careful with the way they manage that stuff, but um, yeah, you're right. The production we design is great. We don't want another battlefield. <laughs> we really don't want another battlefield. Um, even like in the script, the way things are written, like where they explain why they haven't got bikes and they have to walk everywhere, yeah. and you think, well, that makes sense because you you can't really go out for a space walk on no. the surface of Mars whenever you fancy, you know, a, a jog. Yeah. So it makes sense that all those sections of Bowie Base 1 are connected yeah. through um, those really long tunnels. And again, it just yeah. gives you an opportunity to do, a, you know, being chased down corridors sequence. Yeah. Um, which again, Graham Harper's got on his quad bike and he's shooting all that stuff handheld Is again he... and it looks great. Ah, oh, so good. Um, yeah, it just looks fabulous. Um, Captain Adelaide Brooke then. So she yeah. is the kind of... Lindsay Duncan, she's the companion in this story or was yeah. touted as the, the companion for the story. Yeah. Cause that was the whole um, thing, wasn't it? For this, uh, little, mm. uh, selection of specials that I remember them sort of saying like, there'll be no full-time companion. Each story will have its own bespoke companion. Um, yeah. Obviously lady Christina has found new life on big finish because of course, uh, only coming up very soon will be, Hearing her again. Oh, Jackie Tyler and the Sixth Doctor and Harry Sullivan and Lady Christina. I mean, God. I mean, it is just that meme of them throwing shit at a fucking dartboard, isn't it? It, That's it, just... it really does. You know, I hate to be mean, but God almighty, what was that? <laughs> what was that about? If we listen to that I mean, and it's, and it's good, my God. I mean, yeah, we have to listen to it yeah. because it's going to be once in future, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, right, well... Look forward to us finally getting around to that on the Patreon when Two's Company or whatever it's called comes out. Yeah, um, yeah she is a she's a great. I mean, it's Lindsay Duncan. Obviously, she's fantastic to get an actor of her caliber on the show. Yes, um, and to play a character like that, you know, something she can get her teeth into. Mm. And she does have this interesting relationship with the Doctor. I thought it was quite interesting how you know she's obviously immediately keeping an eye on him, but there there is. A natural feeling. It doesn't feel too crowbarred in that she's sort of like, okay, I, I kind of trust you in this. You know, it doesn't feel like too much of a stretch that she'd go from name, rank, and intention, yeah. and having a gun on him, through to because she, you know, you get that childlike wonder of wanting to be in the stars, and so of course she'd yeah. believe that this person is from somewhere else and is trying to help her. Yeah. Um, and that bit with the Dalek, which I think was the thing that sort of everybody bought into the fact that the Terry Nation estate are like, right, you need a Dalek in yeah. every year. This yeah. was like the start of that starting, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what do you think of, of, of Captain Adelaide? I mean, yeah, she's fantastic because like you said, an actress of her calibre. Um, 
And those brilliant scenes where she shuts herself away and talks to the doctor through over the over mm. the camera, you know, over the intercom, um, is so well done. Uh, and they're both working. So I mean, I don't know how they shot mm. that. I don't know if they were shooting that. You know, as live, and they were, they had a like. I was thinking that. I, I don't think they the are. Screen. Oh, really? No, I'm it, not it, sure. I'm not sure that they are. I mean, it, I feel like they would have shown that on Confidential if if that was the yeah. case. Because I was um, like, God, it is. It's so good. It doesn't feel like she's reacting to a recording. There are a few no. cuts in there which made me think, oh, may, maybe they have shot this separately. I think her um, close-up is all one take. Because they yeah. use the audio from it for the over-the-shoulder shot. And you can see in the reflection, yeah. she's almost, you know, going, miming it word for word. But it's just slightly out. and Or like her yeah. face, her facial so, features yeah, yeah. just aren't quite melding. But yeah, that's a great moment. Um, and I, I quite like the fact that they linked it to the Dalek thing. Because again, it, mm. it reminds us as an audience that, you know, this is only the near future. And, you know, as an audience, uh, when at a time when everybody watched Doctor Who, you know, we would have remembered, everyone would have remembered yeah. oh, that was the finale, you know. Um, so it, all that kind of stuff would have been in the audience's consciousness. Uh, so that's really clever. And, um, and, and you know, they, they obviously play up the whole idea, like with the other characters, you know, she's a mum. Um, you know, she's going to be a grandmother or she is a grandmother, you know, and I love all that bit where the doctor and her have that moment and the doctor sort of basically sits her down and says, you know, because of you, all of mm. this wonderful stuff is going to happen. Um, and, you know, he lifts, lists off all the different places that people are going to go to. Slightly disappointed they didn't mention Draconia because it feels <laughs> like frontier in space isn't too far in the future so no. you know we missed a trick there um yeah it, it, it she's just fantastic uh and i love how she sticks to her guns and sticks to her integrity and her morals right to the very end um well, you know, because, yeah. she, because throughout you know she's been told that she's got to die and she kind of takes it on the chin you know, initially she's like, well, you know, you've got to save me. And then when, the more she hears about it and the more she hears about the future and I guess, you know, the, the legacy that her grandchildren and her family are going to have, she's like, she's quite resigned to the fact that she's going to die. Even yeah. to the point where she's quite cross when the doctor comes back. Um, yes. Particularly for someone who's only known, met him you know, an hour ago or whatever, and mm. has only known him for a, a short amount of time, you know, you kind of feel like that sort of relationship, you know, some long-term companions don't get that kind of mm. idea of how intrinsically linked the Doctor is into, like, the web of time and, you know, what he can see and, you know, what's allowed. Yeah, so, I, yeah, she's, she's really great. She's a, a fantastic character and just brilliantly acted. I love that line... Um, who's going to save you? And the doctor yeah. says, Captain Adelaide Brooke. And because he knows that yeah. she's not a bad person. And, and, and the way she pitches yeah. that performance is like hard nosed vet, but does have a twinkle in her eye and isn't, you know, yeah. a kind of all bluster, no sort of like twinkle. She's just, she's, she's 
brilliant actor and she just she hits that note perfectly it's like it was written for her you know you yeah. can't imagine anybody else playing that part no not at all um because she's there's the other guy isn't there there's the australian guy who yes she sort of gives him a bit of a hard time but even then there's a moment where i think she sort of shoots him a wink or a little smile and you mm. know that even though stuff's obviously gone on and you know she she's not she's not doing it just to be horrible you know she mm. there is that softer side to her um because that guy turns around and says something like oh you never did forgive me for and then yeah. i think he gets cut off um i don't know has the waters of mars novelization come out yet or is that it one comes out in july out so i as soon as that came up i was like oh i wonder if any of this sort of stuff will be explored and will phil ford go more into the lives of these characters i guess yeah, that's i'm you really want, looking it, really? forward to that one dropping yeah, yeah I, I, that's i mean russell again sort of almost rewrote the book with the way that the novelizations can expand on what's on the screen because yeah uh with the rose novelization which yeah it's mad to think that was his first sort of dipping his toes back into being involved in the show to that degree was that novelization. Yeah. You know, he hadn't done anything for such a long time yeah. and then suddenly, you know, that pops up and then obviously the lockdown followed, I think, shortly after and then we got yeah. the Sarah Jane stuff and he was writing more bits. Um, let's, I think, maybe move on to the the central nugget of this story, at least, you know, as we start wrapping things up and we move towards the end of the episode and it, because it's obviously intrinsically yeah. linked to Adelaide Brooke and her character and the fact that she kills herself at the end of this story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's incredibly dark, um, yeah. but it does feel, it fits, you know, it works. It's not like it comes out of left field, but for something like that to happen in a show like this, and it not feel out of place and it not mm. feel a bit like maybe we're touching on something there that, you know, it's just, it's done very tastefully, I think, considering the fact oh. that it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it has, it has real world implications because the, the enormity of this moment has been set up from the start. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the doctor has, has gone against all of his morals and all of the sort of, um, the rules that he sets himself as a yeah. traveller through space and time not to interfere. And the fact that he finally has just snapped and gone, do you know what? What if I did just do whatever I wanted? And yeah. that is the consequence that it happens to a character of that moral fibre, mm. that she is the one that sort of like, you know, uh, puts him in his place by by doing that. Yeah. And it and it's, it's a testament to this story and the performances of both David Tennant and Lindsay Duncan, yeah, and the writing, obviously, of, of Phil Ford and Russell T. Davis, and Graham Harper's direction, and yeah. Murray's music, and Murray's music. That, yeah. that moment is just—it's—it it, it works so well, mm -hmm. and is, I think, the best illustration, besides maybe Father's Day, of the yeah. consequences of getting involved in time and messing around with time. And really, you can sort of see a through line from Father's Day to this story because the Doctor is the one sort of laying down the law saying, look, you can't change anything, no matter how painful it is. Yeah. You know, this this has to happen. This is an established event. Um, I think my only issue with it is, and this is, I think, th this, this, is, this was my problem with the story, is I sort of feel like the Time Lord Victorious thing slightly overshadows the last act 
right. of this because you know that you know that it's gonna it's gonna happen. You know that the Time Lord Victorious is what the Doctor becomes. Yeah. But he really only becomes the Time Lord Victorious for those last five minutes or yes. whatever it is. Yep. And the fact that you know, Russell says in Doctor Who Confidential, you know, we've been building to the Time Lord Victorious basically since the show came back. And the point of it is to show that the Doctor can't travel on his own. He has to have somebody there to ground him. Yeah. But I think to do it in what is basically, if you count the next Doctor, special three uh, yeah. of four, four and a half, five. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really feel like we have been given enough breadcrumbs through those stories to know that this is where the Doctor's going to end up, you know, emotionally. Yeah. And I think for it to, for him to snap is like, whoa, the Doctor's finally going to gonna go crazy. But it's almost like we need the end of time to kind of continue that so, story. And the fact that it doesn't, and the fact that, that the Time Lord Victorious, regardless of the fact that they made it into a multimedia event that spanned books, yeah. um, a Blu-ray re-release of these stories, <laughs> yeah. and a live event, um, the Time Lord Victorious begins with that slow motion segment where he sees the, the shuttle explode, and basically ends as soon as... Lindsay Duncan blows her head off. This is it. And this... I'm like, this isn't the moment I think that people build it up as. I think the Time Lord Victorious is a spin-off of that idea, of that thread, but it's yeah. not related in any way. And it's not a story arc. It's not a thread. It's not like we've been building up to this naturally for this whole period. No, uh, that is my, my main gripe as well, because... You know, when when obviously David Tennant's a superb actor and he does that ego and that, you know, that sort of megalomania so well. Mm. You know, he has that twinkle in his eye that he's just shot away just a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, and you could imagine, you could imagine, uh, to, to sort of paraphrase Terence Dix, you know, you could imagine Tom in this sort of a role, because Terence Dix always mm. used to say, you know, Tom was the doctor who I thought could turn to the dark side. And it's the same with David Tennant's doctor. You know, he, you always think that there's that scary edge to him because um, he's just so bloody hyper and you think, you know, something's going to give at some point. Um, and I think it's a shame that the Time Lord Victorious thing doesn't then carry on into end of time. Because it feels like they've missed a trick. It feels like you've set something up. And then I can remember watching End of Time uh, Part 1 and thinking, oh, there's going to be more of this sort of stuff. You know, this is going to be a really important part of why the Doctor regenerates. And then to cut to him just coming out of the TARDIS in the End of Time with that bloody sombrero yeah. on and the thing and then making the joke about the car keys... I was like, oh, what? This feels mm. so completely disconnected from the build-up of the last episode. You know, I feel like I'm missing something here. It feels like there's a lost story somewhere because well, it Dreamland. doesn't feel... Well, yeah, Dreamland. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's a shame that it really does just only happen in those last five minutes. Um, 
because you've because I just kind of wanted to see we've just got the doctor here going pretty much full valiard almost mm. and even if you didn't say oh he's the valiard because you don't want to get steeped in fan wank and all that bullshit but I do think somewhere out there there is a 10th doctor final story where the 10th mm. doctor starts off he is the baddie and something happens because Annie and I were discussing this we were sort of saying well what would we do if if Time Lord Victorious you know forget all the multimedia shit because that's got you know who gives a fuck about that um you know and it, it, has, it has no relevance on what Russell was writing at the time no um but you know what would that look like and you know you, you kind of want to see the doctor sort of not as the villain, but in a sort of semi-villainous role. Um, you know, maybe you have the companions come back to try and sort of take the Doctor down, but, you know, try to show the Doctor, you know, this isn't who you are. And perhaps with his powers, you know, oh, he thinks he can save Donna. Maybe he thinks he can make Donna's, you know, oh, it doesn't matter, Donna's brains can explode because I'm the Time Lord Victorious and I can do anything. And maybe he does something and it does kill her. And he goes, shit, I'm not all powerful. I fucked up. I need to go back, sort my life out, save my best friend. And in doing that, it triggers his regeneration. And we have the status quo back to normal. The doctor returns to being a hero and he feels like, right, I've learned my lesson, but now I need to become somebody else. Rather than all that stuff we got with the master turning into everybody, which seems a bit mad. But that is what I would have liked to have seen. Something like that, because that would have felt like a story arc really reaching its crescendo and then feeding into the next chapter of the programme. Since when have you had access to the 60th anniversary scripts? Oh, I know, sorry. I think if there is a thread that you can follow, but the thing is, I think you're right. It's that it's disconnected, isn't it? It's not, you yeah. know... All of that it never is comes great. up again. Like the master is never <clears throat> like, doesn't. "Oh, you're the Time Lord victorious." It's just it just gets no. dropped, and you're like, "Oh, okay." I think it's like when I think of the Time Lord victorious or what that looks like to me in the show. It's just you know the last five minutes of this episode. Maybe David Tennant with the gun in his hand in the end of Time Part Two, but again, yeah. that isn't connected to this. No. At all. Um, and maybe it's that the Doctor is selfish enough to do the whole Time Lord Victorious thing in this story and it gets Adelaide killed. And then the Doctor's kind of thing about, you know, I'm not ready to die, I can't die now, and it's not my time yet. Yeah. Th- that kind of selfish behaviour nearly gets Wilf killed. Yes. And then he realises he can't be he can't be like that. He's Adelaide's already, you know, gone yeah. through my selfish behaviour. I'm not going to lose Wilf. I will sacrifice myself because this is how the story is supposed to end. Yeah. Um, and I think for a long time, you know, there's a lot of conversations you see on Twitter about people being quote unquote revisionist about the way that certain showrunners were viewed at the time. Um, and mm. I don't think I'm misremembering this when I say that when Stephen Moffat came on board I think people were quite deflated by the way that Russell's tenure ended with those specials, particularly the end of time. But I think it's because 
what was established with the Waters of Mars and the, the Time of Victorious wasn't followed through on. And it was almost a cop-out in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, a, you know, we have to send the Tenth Doctor off. Uh, but the story obviously has to start with him being, oh, you know, I'm just sort of jolly bumbly, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, but that's not where we left him off as a character the last time we saw no. him. You can't act like the water break is, um, uh, you know, dreamland you can't act yeah. like that is the missing story in that equation because that yeah. you know we've reviewed that nothing is touched upon no. with regards to the doctor's actions in the wars yeah. of mars you know that, that and there's no real anywhere, lead into the it, end really? of time exactly but i i certainly remember people feeling quite deflated about russell's tenure specifically because of the way that the end of time handled this time law victorious thing yeah it did feel like the it was it was kind of fumbled right yeah. at the very end, and I think that left a, a sour taste in people's mouth, um, and they were looking forward to Stephen Moffat coming in and going, "Well, you know, well, let's see what he does here. Yeah, let's see where he can pick off where, where Russell left off and didn't quite get over the finish line with that last sort of little uh, flourish." Yeah, um, little did we know. But I think, yeah, little did we know. <laughs> I think that that starts with the waters of Mars. Yeah, and. The fact that the time look victorious is a flash in the pan, blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. And then we're back to the status quo at the start of the, the end of time. Yeah. And I think if you hadn't had the promise of this character change in the Doctor and this reassessment of his life, which appears yeah. to be what he's heading towards at the end of The Waters of Mars. Yeah. Um, and then this massive reset in between the, you know, Waters of Mars and the end of time. I think, you know, people would have viewed it differently at the time. Yeah. But I, I, as it is it seemed to me that people were quite disappointed with the way that was handled. And I suppose, you know, really we ought to do the end of time at some point this year mm. just to kind of connect these two up yeah. and see if there is anything left of that Time Lord Victorious yeah. in the end of time. Because it seems so focused on saying goodbye to Tennant and doing a story with the Master, an epic showdown with the Master, that yeah. it's obviously never referenced again. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's the the problem with with this story and i don't think it hangs over the entire episode it's not like i can enjoy, no. I, I don't enjoy this story as a result i can divorce yeah. the time lord victorious from the waters of mars but the problem is yeah. it is the ending of the story it's the it's and the consequence of the doctor's actions is that everybody survives even though we're told that isn't going to be the case um yeah. i uh i just another thing as well in that last scene i think david's performance is really interesting mm. because the doctor, the 10th doctor has this kind of braggadocious swaggering smug sort of self-righteous thing going on anyway, I yeah. think, but he's always just on the right side of it. Yeah. It might get annoying and it might get a little bit like, Oh, I don't really like my doctor like that, but yeah. you know, whatever that's just his character. But David is almost, I think self-aware of that in his performance. And so he just tips it over the other side, just slightly in the way that he's sort of smiling out the corner of his mouth. Yeah. And he does that whole comment on, you know, I save a couple of little people. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, whoa, mm. who are you? Yeah. yeah like yeah. you, you are displaying 10th doctor kind of, you know, cocksure characteristics, but yeah. this isn't you. You shouldn't be saying these things. Now you're just and pure cock. down to, now you're just pure cock. And that is down to David's performance yeah. and the way that he has chosen to illustrate that change in the Doctor. Um, yeah. I, I did mean, find that's the what la I mean the, the by, like, you know, you're, you're, almost, you're almost full Valyard there. Yeah, yeah. 
It's not much and of a change could, though, could, but, it, but that's that's testament it, to the yeah. way David's played it, isn't it? That like, yeah. I believe that along this whole time you have been capable of just, just tipping over yeah. into that, you know, your emotions or, you know, if Rose was on the line and it meant that he had to turn full back, you know, turn heel, he would, you know, like. Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's it, his yeah. love and his well, emotions getting to- better of him. That's what I said to Annie. I said it would need to be that for, for, it would have to either be something to do with Donna or yeah. I'm going to destroy reality because I want to get Rose back. She shouldn't be there. Uh, the Time Lords aren't here to stop me, but I want what I want. And in doing that, he balls everything up and he's like, shit, mm. I have to save the universe and fix my mess. And, you know. I like the, the kind of callbacks to Pompeii as well. Um, yes, you know, yeah. with him being responsible for causing that, and it's yeah. sort of like, yeah, yeah, but you know, we know Again, that has that's to happen. Clever it's interesting, line, isn't it? Really, really nice. Um, when yeah. Stel was like, "What happened with Pompeii?" I was like, "Oh, he's responsible for Pompeii." They all died. <laughs> yeah, and she was like, "That's a pretty colossal fuck up," you know, <laughs> like, yeah. "Oops," you know, you've, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing she said as well in that last scene where Yuri and Gemma Chan's character. You know, that, that her reaction to him, I think, is really interesting. And that sort of... Yeah. She plays that scene so well. Like, you know, it's not like a companion comes on board the TARDIS and sees the interior and goes... No. Oh, my God, what is this? It's like she's been just rushed out of this crazy moment and she's suddenly back yeah. on Earth. And you can see the shock in her yeah. performance. It's played so well. And, like... Yeah, it's like how every other normal person would react to being in the presence of somebody like the Tenth Doctor. Like you're nuts. Like you can't act yeah, like yeah. this is normal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is just a really beautifully pitched bit there. But the thing that made me laugh was um, Yuri being told to kind of go off after her, you know, yeah. take care of her or whatever. And Stell said she's a biologist that's been living on Mars for five years. I think she'll be okay on her own. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> that fucking typical, of course, go after the woman and, you know, look yeah, after yeah, her. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I put in my notes, so it's like, so they didn't die, but what, did she have like a mental breakdown? She, I, I mean, it appears to me that like, she's the other casualty, besides the people that died on the surface of Mars and Adelaide. She's yeah. the kind of other casualty of this that like, so what did she you know what happened after that you know i'd love to see if in the reports that you know when yeah. they're being interviewed is like i got picked up by yeah. some nutter in a blue box and ran off well this is it um and i mean i don't know if this will get uh mentioned in the novelization but one of the things that i thought of was like well although adelaide brooke still dies things have changed significantly because here you've got two yeah. people who have just well, three people who have suddenly, inexplicably, have come back to Earth by mm. no means of space transport, you know, known to man. You know, how did they just suddenly go from there to there? How do they explain Yeah, that? how do they cover that up? Yeah, how is that covered? And then, of course, for Adelaide's family, for Adelaide's granddaughter, oh, she mm. finds out that, oh, actually, your grandma killed herself why did she kill herself oh we don't know maybe it was stress of the job maybe it was this maybe it was that you know the oh the, the place uh, her, the place that she was in charge of exploded maybe she came back home couldn't cope with the fact that she'd lost all of mm. the people that she was supposed to be looking after and topped herself you know does that then 
would that then necessarily inspire her granddaughter to well, go into space? Well, that's that's a really interesting point. Yeah, because it's almost like you know, because they build up the whole thing about you know she's inspired by what happened. You know, you going yeah. out amongst the stars, but dying there, and she goes out to yeah. look for you. And the fact that she's not yeah. out there anymore, it's almost like no. the Doctor has ruined this girl's inspiration because rather yeah. than it being like a kind of, man, she died up there amongst the stars and it being really poetic, yeah. it's like, no, she blew her brains out in a in a In the hallway of Rose. You know, <laughs> yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, and that's, that's slightly different, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like her motivation is ruined by the Doctor. Not that that isn't a worthy reason to do it, is to like, you know, avenge her, or not avenge her, but do it in her memory and do it in her honour because she, yeah. but it's like, do it in her honour because she couldn't handle it. It's yeah, like, it's weird. You know. Yeah, you you either but, do that or you're like, oh no, actually, I don't think I would go in for that space exploration stuff. Because no, because look what it did to my grandma. There, then you end up, yeah, yeah, you end up wanting to off yourself, you know. Um, yeah. But I, what I think is so great about this story is that it that the blame is pinned solely on the Doctor for that. Yeah. You know, and that's just another level of how badly he's fucked up. Is that this yeah. girl's inspiration is now totally different and. I, I mean, God, what a story. The fact that we're still kind of talking about it at that level where it's not explicitly yeah. stated how terrible that must be for that family. But the motivations yeah. of this character we never meet have now changed significantly because of the Doctor's yeah. actions. You know, it's just, it's brilliant. It's 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 such a moment in the mm. show. Um, and I don't think it can be touched really. But, but the fact that they've told that story once yeah oh excuse me i bumped the mic they've told that story once in that moment it can't be bettered i think that is just the way that you tell that story you know um let's just have a quick look at what the rodders thought uh before we give our final thoughts on the story jacob Uh, says the best episode i should add that i did go straight onto tardis wikia after this and looked at the time lord victorious to see a synopsis and find out what it was all about and I thought, man, that's a lot of waffly nonsense going on in that whole of, thing. What, of the multimedia event? Yeah. I was just like, mm. it's not really, it's not what I would have imagined. Go, You know, the Doctor fucks off and like goes after some aliens that no one's ever heard of. I must have read more of it than you did. Then. Yeah, you, re- you read the novel, the first one, didn't you? I read both books. Oh, did you? I, I, never, read both. To... I never read any of them. I listened to, I think, all but maybe one or two of the audio dramas, and then I did the Escape Room adventure oh, yeah, you thing. Did that. But yeah, that yeah. has basically no bearing on Time Lord Victorious, besides the fact that Brian the Ude gets his head blown off uh, at one point. He gets assassinated. And it's like, yeah. you know, obviously time fracture was supposed to be its own thing separate to time lord victorious and they've gone oh well let's stick a couple of story elements in there that ties it together yeah which is kind of neat it's a nice way of doing it but yeah. I, you know it's not like you get a full picture by listening to any one of the audio dramas or reading any one of the books no um yeah i mean it's just sort of an extension of the idea of the time lord victorious isn't it it's yeah. not like this has any connection to the waters of mars it's just that they went time lord victorious would have been a cool like season five for david let's yeah do that basically yeah. if he turned fully bad but it's yeah. you know it's sort of it's pretty waffly yeah. um yes so let's have a look and see what the rodders thought jacob says best episode of the entire show that's wow. pretty high praise daniel yeah. 
Uh, honestly, never understood the hype for this one. I think the monsters are a cool visual, but beyond that, I find it unrelentingly dull. Wow. Even the Time Lord Victoria stuff seems odd. He tries to change history and regrets it, even though he's, it seemingly has minimal side effects. I think it's... It kind of it has minimal side effects in in the moment when you watch the ending of the show, but I think as we've sort of discussed it and you look at it a bit deeper, it's like yeah, okay, the side effects aren't universe-ending implications, but no. they are significant enough that you think the Doctor's fucked up here. Like even yeah. in the context of that little girl and the yeah. fact that Adelaide Brooke has to kill herself yeah, because well, of it, the Doctor, you it's, know, it's it's yeah. far worse from the Doctor's point of view. You know, is it better? Is it better for me to have left her to die than make mm. her take her own life? You know, how does, how does that, that make I mean, you feel as a person? You, you know. As the doctor who yeah. would never do anything like that, you know, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, it's so you know. far away from what they want to do and the effect they want to have on people. So I think when yeah. you say, Daniel, sort of minimal side effects, I think it's like, okay, sure, there hasn't been a massive alien invasion or a flux-style event that's ended the universe, but it's kind of yeah. worse than that, really, isn't it? It's yeah. more human, it's more personal. Exactly. Um, Bradley says, a great story for the most part, but I'm personally not that keen on the third act. I know what it's trying to do and it achieves that, but I don't think it feels in character for the Doctor. The base under siege aspect and the flood as a monster are spectacular, though. Uh, at Martang66, just dreadful. I really cannot understand what people like about it, Lindsay Duncan aside. Uh, the Doctor Goes Bad angle is interesting, but totally fumbled. The robot is annoying as hell, and the monsters look like messy eaters after a bowl of porridge. Uh, ben, wow. a great sit-up to a disappointing... If, you weren't, if you're listening to the audio version, Matt's face all the way through that review is pretty <laughs> illustrative like of what he feels. I like just in the bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> after all that. Um, ben says, a great setup to a very disappointing conclusion to a character arc, which in my mind doesn't fully appreciate the consequences of the Doctor's action in the story. I think it does, but I don't think it says it in as yeah. many words, does it? I yeah. think that's just something you take away afterwards uh, you know when you th think about it and grant says the absolute definition of a writer not limiting their main character brutal and devastating which is mm. something that i noticed actually in in the confidential about this story is you know obviously david is in a bit of a reflective mood uh being interviewed for it uh because he knows that he's about to leave the show mm. and so there's a bit where he says you know it's interesting playing a character like the doctor because he can't really change that much, you know? And there's a sort of, like, a knowing grin he has to himself. Yeah. Like, he's like, you know, you're kind of stuck playing the same character every episode. Yeah. And so he says, you know, the fact that he knows that his time is up and we know that we're heading towards his final days means that you only really have a couple of opportunities to do this. And this yeah. is the moment where we do it. And... um I just thought it was interesting the way he seems to kind of be a bit self-aware of the role you're in as Doctor Who means you don't really have any wiggle room um, yeah. for development. Yeah. Um, but they do I mean, do Tom it here. Baker and said I think, it all the time, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they do do it here. And I think if you look at it from a bigger picture perspective, sure, it doesn't really have much of an impact on the Doctor. Um, it doesn't really have much of an impact on the 10th Doctor, um, considering you know, he's only got two 45 minute or two hour long stories left to go but yeah. the implications of it from a real world perspective in that moment i think are enough to sell the time lord victorious um it's just that as a concept 
as a wider concept that could have been a bit of a story arc. It's not a story arc. Yeah. It's just something no. that happens at the end of this story. Um, but yeah. taken in that respect, I think it, it it's it's grand. And I think, you know, the lasting effect of it is, in-universe, is that the other Doctors just think of the Tenth Doctor as, oh, yeah, he was a bit of an egotist. Because, you know, it feeds mm. into the whole I don't want to go thing. You totally. Know, he's, you know, he's full of his own self-importance, this, this Doctor, um, to an extent. So, you know... Who knows how that... Fuck me, he bloody comes back again. He's back, he's back, he's back in the 60th <laughs> anniversary. You know, that well, maybe, gobshite maybe again. We'll get Is he s- never off the air? <laughs> you know, get that gobshite off the television. Maybe, <laughs> um, um, maybe we'll get some reference to it. I mean, well, it's yeah. almost like it's been trailed that the 10th Doctor or the 14th Doctor has unfinished business. There's a reason that he's come back yeah. here. And I, it may not just be to do with the fact that Donna is uh you know back and there's something going on there with the fact that she has to remember who he is for the next two stories after the star beast that even yeah. happen in a context of the doctor with a companion um maybe we're gonna revisit this moment because like the implications of it in in the immediate moment are pretty severe the implications of it yeah for the rest of the specials uh, oh, excuse me bang the like again is minimal but <laughs> yeah maybe this is a long game that russell's playing not that he planned it but maybe no. this is a longer story maybe we're gonna see a bit of you know something something to do with this in the 60th anniversary um i would kind of hope that's the thread that they're dangling to and coming back to for the 10th doctor 14th yeah. doctor um but we'll have to wait and see yeah um that was the waters of mars thank you very much for watching and listening ladies and gents we greatly appreciate it next time yeah on the review of death we are venturing back to the wastes of scaro oh for the genesis of the Daleks. oh bloody hell very good another heavy hitter wow you might want to start watching it sort of now (laughs) right i'm off i gotta start watching dr (laughs) (laughs) um so tell us what you thought of the waters of mars in the comments below of this review in general and uh, of genesis of the daleks um head over to the patreon where you can check out our review for the artist at the end of time plus a swathe of other things and get on there ahead of the monumentally baffling and morally confusing uh tom baker who on earth is tom baker commentary uh which is just batshit it drove matt to the point of insanity where i got a video of him with his shirt off drinking wine <laughs> yeah. on the sofa yeah put that on patreon if uh, you want. no I, I i was going in my own personal collection <laughs> um and yeah matt you you wrap it up for us brother well that was waters of mars see you next time for genesis of the daleks gonna be a good one this was a good one we'll see you then like subscribe share with your friends and all that jazz and hopefully by the time we see you uh they'll announce another collection set just to make ian levine happy all right bye bye (laughs) everyone (laughs) bye